Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of NHASED Spotlight, a podcast where we discuss educational topics in order to be a catalyst for conversation and action to ensure excellence in teaching, learning, and leading. This is Jan Yost, the Executive Director of NHASED, and your host for this episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to NHASED Spotlight. We're so excited to have two of the authors of the Instructional Leader's Guide to Implementing K-8 Science. Before I introduce them, though, I'd like to introduce our co-host for this episode, Dr. Lois Costa, who is a superintendent of schools for SAU 90 and a member of the NHASED Board of Directors. Welcome, Lois. So nice to have you. It's great to be here. What a great topic and what a great opportunity for all of us. It is, which brings me now to our guests. So we have Dr. Becca Lowenhaupt, who is an associate professor, professor, excuse me, of educational leadership at the Lynch School of Education at Boston College. We also have Dr. Rebecca Catch Singer, who is a science curriculum coordinator for the Westboro Public Schools in Massachusetts and a lecturer of education at Brandeis University. Welcome, ladies. So great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having uh, us. Oh, our pleasure, because this is um, such an important topic. And as we were talking before, um, because of the emphasis on math and English language arts, science often is kind of pushed um, on a next level. So I'm really excited to learn a lot more about your work and your book. So. Perhaps maybe each of you could tell us a bit about yourself and what motivated you to write this book. Sure, so, so I'm a um, professor of leadership at BC and I had been, at the time that we started this project, I had been working um, to develop our instructional leadership class where we train aspiring school principals in ways of observing and supporting teachers. Um, and as I was working on that, I realized that most of the tools and rubrics that I had as I looked through it and some of the very common practical tools we have in the field, which are fantastic, were really content neutral in the way that they addressed observation. And so I saw a need there to think about what supervision might look like for particular subjects. Um, and as I worked and talked with my students, I realized that they were very comfortable providing that kind of content neutral um, feedback to teachers. But when we started to think about the particular uh, aspects of instruction by subject area, um, it was clear that, you know, as, as Lois, as Dr. Costa mentioned, there was an emphasis on literacy and math, but a lot less comfort when it came to thinking about science. Um, and so that brought us, um, that brought me to Dr. McNeil, who's a science expert, and into this project. So I was a doctoral student working with Kate McNeil at the time. Um, and so I was lucky enough to get in at the beginning of this project and do a lot of the research and a lot of the work. Um, before I was a doctoral student, um, I was a middle school science teacher for a number of years. and. Um, really enjoyed working on this project as a way to 
encourage supervisors to put priority on science and not just have it always coming from the teacher, this is important, this is important, but have it recognized at a, at a much bigger scale. So you both mentioned a project, and I assume you are referencing the Instructional Leadership for Science project? Yeah, we call it, it's a really clunky acronym. Um, in education, we love acronyms and somehow couldn't manage to get one that was easy to say. So we do say ILSIP is what we say, the Instructional Leadership for Science Practices. Um, this is a project that was funded by the National Science Foundation, and it was a research project that set out to work in partnership with K-8 principals to develop the set of tools and rubrics that ultimately turned into this book. We also um, at first had developed a website, which is still available. Um, and what we heard from a lot of the principals that we were working with was that it would be easier if they had a book they could carry around in their hands. So that's exactly what motivated us to pull this together. And it's very exciting as a kind of culminating product of our five-year project to be able to um, know that these tools will be hopefully easily accessible to leaders who are very busy doing the important work in their schools. I'd um, love to make sure that we put that website on the show notes. Yes, we should. It's also in the book. Great. Um, but so I'll just tell you a little bit about this, the way the project came to be. Um, unfortunately, Dr. McNeil can't be with us here today, but um, she and I, uh, created the project that came out of a conversation that we had um, where I shared with her that dilemma that I was facing as I worked with students looking for subject specific supervision materials and she shared a frustration in her work um, providing PD with teachers that often the teachers would say well my leaders don't understand this and they really can't help me implement it and as we were talking it became clear that you know with all my expertise about supervision, I really knew nothing about science or the new science standards. Um, I was an English major. I was an English teacher in the middle school level. I have always sort of felt like meh about science. And so I was really excited um, to be the kind of, in our team, I was always the non-science person. And, and one thing that I had found in my research over the years with principals is it's pretty rare for, um, you know, for you to discover principals who have that science background. Many of our principals come up through special ed or through literacy and mathematics. And so many of the principals I work with feel sort of the same as I do about not quite getting what this science reform is all about. Kate, on the other hand, has been instrumental in developing the, the standards. She's been involved in developing incredible curriculum that's open access to be able to implement the standards. And she has a really deep understanding of the science instruction. And so in a sense, we made the perfect pair to, to do this project because as she would unroll, you know, or Rebecca and Kate would unroll these ideas, I would be like, wait, what? Like, what, what do you mean by modeling? I don't quite understand what that is. Or, you know, why do I need to care about this aspect of the science practices? So it was a really lively and incredible team to work with. We also, I do wanna say, we also worked with um, Ben Lowell and Kevin Gerbo on the project as well. And we worked really quite collaboratively throughout the, um, the time of the project in partnership with a, a 
kind of incredible group of school principals and um, from around the Boston area who contributed in so many ways to the materials. Um, so hopefully, you know, this book can really launch those of you who are interested in thinking about science and it's really designed for the science novice. So someone who may not know much about science can hopefully pick this up and get a sense of the purpose and meaning of the science practices. Yeah, and I wanted to highlight that our focus on the science practices is very deliberate because if you look at nationally, you know, the NGS has the Next Generation Science Standards or how different states have adapted or adopted them. Um, this focus on the practices is new. This idea that what scientists do, we want kids to be doing in the classroom to figure out big science ideas, that they're not separate inquiry and content standards, that these things happen together. And the one thing, one of the things that cuts across really K-12 science, but certainly K-8, are these practices. So instead of focusing on disciplinary core ideas, which are the content that we're so used to focusing on in, on, in science classrooms, we wanted to give principals a tool that they could use across content areas. You do not have to be an expert at fourth grade circuit building to supervise a classroom where students are engaged in these practices. Um, and I think that's really important to making this both accessible to leaders, but also in um, moving, the, moving the focus away from only focusing on content to looking at how students are engaging in these practices to figure out the content. So important. So, so in your book, you share this contract um, content neutral approaches to supervision. You run the risk of focusing on general pedagogies that may be strong, but not address the specific subject being taught. Can you elaborate on this and address the issue um, that an administrator and instructional leader cannot be an expert in all content areas that are taught? So what help are you providing in your book? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think, you know, Becca's already started to talk about that, that nobody can be an expert in, in everything. Um, and it would be unreasonable for us to expect principals or um, department chairs or anybody to be an expert in, in everything in every classroom. Um, so what we're trying to do is give principals and other leaders a lens here to use. Um, the risk you run with these content neutral approaches is yes, there are general pedagogical strategies that can be very helpful in classrooms for supporting students, for ensuring engagement, things like that. But if I think about the classrooms that I've been to where students are engaging in science, sometimes those look different. And so for example, um, the other day I was in some fourth grade classrooms, students were building circuits and I thought about, if um, a principal who didn't have a background in this walked in and the lesson looked like a more traditional science lesson where students were taught what a circuit is, the teacher demonstrated how to make a circuit, and then the students practice making circuits, the principal's feedback might be, and very validly so, wow, every student was engaged in circuit building. While wow, you modeled for students how to use the vocabulary ahead of time, you were very clear in your directions about how to put the circuit together. The problem is when we're thinking about a science classroom, those pedagogical moves actually run in contrast to what we want kids to be doing in the classroom. So what we want is for students to be gathering data. We want them asking scientific questions. We want them making sense of that data. So if I think about the same fourth grade classroom, if I walked in, what I would want to see is I'd want to see the teacher briefly introduce, you know, we've been studying this, answering this big question or this big phenomena that's been puzzling us. We've decided we really need to know more about how light bulbs and circuits, someone mentioned the word circuits, how these things work and what they really are. So I'm gonna give you the following materials and I want you to just see if you can make the bulb light. 
And then the students having an opportunity to play with the materials, figure out what patterns they notice about what lights and what doesn't light, and then come together as a class. And then the teacher's pedagogical moves there are around encouraging the discussion, encouraging students to talk to each other, debate with each other, make sense of what they just witnessed with those circuits to figure out what's going on here. And then what students walk away with is a much deeper understanding of the concept. They pick up the vocabulary in no time at all because it comes when they're ready for it and they have schema already to attach it to. But both of those classrooms are, are kind of contrasting examples. Um, but if a principal walked into that second classroom, hopefully they could use the resources in our book to give that teacher that feedback. Or if they walked in the first one, they could use it to structure a conversation and say, you know, here's what I saw you doing and I'm really curious about why and how can you help you move your practice. As a former principal, um, I was so fortunate to have science teachers who really engaged the students and the students were many scientists. Um, I feel so fortunate. Um, and how you described that second classroom was often what I saw. Um, I think it's so important because the kids really then remember very silly points. Um, one of the things that you mentioned was administrators using your book. Yes. So I'm curious, how do you hope administrators will use your book? So maybe you could give us some examples. Sure. So I hope that um, administrators who pick up the book will be thinking about you know, their regular supervision practice that they already have in place and think about how they might integrate some of the tools here to provide a little bit more content specific support um, for their teachers in science. And so, as I said earlier, often principals are a little hesitant to provide content specific um, feedback when they don't feel they fully understand the um, the, what they're trying to implement, the new standards. And so I hope that they might first use the book to gain a kind of basic and straightforward understanding of these core science practices. And I think Rebecca gave us a really good example of how implementing those science practices might look substantively different than science classrooms um, that principals have, have been accustomed to in the past. So hopefully the book will give some concrete examples. There are vignettes with um, that kind of bring to life some of those classrooms. Um, there are lists of instructional strategies for each practice that they might be looking for or thinking about helping teachers implement. So first, I hope that administrators will use the book to gain some confidence and tools um, for themselves in their ability to observe and push um, teachers to try to implement these science practices. Um, our goal is that the book provides a quick and easy framework for principals. So without having to learn all the nuance of the next generation science standards, they can kind of have a, a, a clear understanding of the science practices, which as Rebecca points out, are really the kind of undergirding framework for the. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing is I hope that principals will feel that they can draw some parts of the book. For example, the vignettes that we have, um, the, the rubric itself, the continuum, and they might use those as resources to support their um, professional development time that they have with teachers, um, whether it be to encourage teachers to sit down and discuss one of the examples in the book um, or provide a kind of step-by-step step -step 
training in using or reflecting on the, the rubric. We, we included in the book both, we have both an um, supervisor facing continuum that talks about what these practices look like. And then we also have a student facing continuum that teachers may wanna take up. Um, we also include in the book some really specific lesson plans for a professional development workshop that in, um, principals might want to try to use with their teachers. Um, and so our hope is that that's another way that a, a principal might take up and use this. Um, they may directly wanna use some of the observation tools here to supplement whatever super um, observation rubrics they're already using. Um, and, and then we hope that this, you know, sharing the aspects of this book or the whole book with their teachers might provide teachers a common language to use with each other or alongside coaches and mentors. Both the continuum and the other tools in the book really are aimed at providing a concrete way to push forward in your thinking about instruction. Um, and then finally, you know, this is kind of a fantasy, but my hope is that people who use the book will feel similarly inspired in thinking about other content areas. Um, so, you know, I'm in conversation with a colleague who studies mathematics supervision, and she's really excited about thinking about adapting some of these tools. What would it look like for the math practices? Or how might it look to try to create similar materials for social studies? Um, and so, you know, we're trying and we're kind of hoping that what we've put forward here is really hands-on and tangible. You know, I, I laughed when I saw the book. It's, you know, it's quite light. And so hopefully easy to kind of carry around and refer to in the busy hectic day-to-day -day of, of being a school leader. Um, yeah, did I get all, anything you wanna add, Rebecca? No, I think it's great. I had a conversation with our social studies coordinator just the other day in Westboro. I was like, I could do this for the social studies practices. I said, absolutely. So I think that's wonderful. Yeah, I love it that it was, you're looking at other content areas. I think it's great. I'm sorry, Becca, I introduced. No, no, I just want to say, like, we really, you know, tried when we originally designed the materials, we really tried, you know, a big part of our philosophy around learning is we really want to hang it on what people are already knowing and doing. And so you'll see that we really borrowed heavily from the formatting, for example, of the Danielson rubrics, which are very familiar to many, um, many school leaders, um, as well as, you know, looking at some of Kim Marshall's work on observation. And so we, we, you know, draw heavily on the existing materials. We think they are incredible and foundational, but what we're trying to do is push it into that content specific realm um, so that people are able to kind of integrate the existing tools and, and materials they use for supervision and evaluation to integrate some of, of what we provide here in the book, so. Awesome. That's fantastic, and I, and I agree. Most people are familiar with the Danielson and model, as well as Kim Marshall's walkthroughs. So that's familiar to people, which is always is always um, comfort and familiar, right? Familiarity. Can you tell us why is it important to maintain and even push for a focus on science instruction K eight? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so you know, in this moment in time, um, a lot of districts are undertaking significant work focused on DEIJ. Um, and 
the science practices and the new standards that, you know, the next generation science standards that encompass them um, were really um, a major driving force was making sure that every single student had access to high quality science education, that that had been something that we had struggled with and perhaps weren't meeting the bar on. Um, and so this necessitates this shift toward incorporating the science practices, having students engage in them to figure out big ideas, um, really um, is focused on equity. It, it Underlying it is the idea that every single student has access to the curriculum, that their background, their language, their experiences are valuable assets in the classroom and something to make visible, something to build on. Um, and so when you engage students in these practices, you're really validating who they are and what they bring um, to the classroom. I've had a lot of teachers tell me that when they, as they have shifted their instruction to, in to engage students in these practices, that their students who often struggle in other parts of the day do exceptionally well. Um, I've heard especially that students who are designated as English language learners are thriving in certainly my district and many other districts because who they are, their experiences are very valuable. There are important aspects. Their language develops because there's a focus on a lot of talk and student discourse and shifting your perspective. Um, there's a real growth mindset embedded in these as you revise ideas over time. And that's really, really good for all of our students. And it gives every single student an entry point. Every kid has access. When you engage students, for example, and looking at a phenomena at the beginning of a unit and making a model of their initial ideas, there's no one right way to do this. Um, even at the end of the unit, there are accurate ideas that we might want um, to see students include, but there are many right ways to do that. And opening that up, providing that choice is just um, essential. And, you know, in this moment as well, wherever we want to say we are in this um, pandemic, um, not quite sure we're post-pandemic quite yet, but we do have, um, we have seen how important it is to have a generation of students who can look at data, look at evidence, understand of science, how scientific knowledge is developed and critiqued over time. That critique piece is, I think, really important and something that um, we often don't recognize. Um, and so it's our jobs as educators and schools and researchers and education to, to grow that next generation that can really look at data and say, you know what, I, I don't trust where this came from, or I'm not sure about this, or this graph is misleading based on this access. Um, and so that, that's a really important part of having um, making sure that every kid is engaged in high quality science. Um, I think there's a, a tendency now to say, well, we have to focus on literacy. We have to make sure our students can read, can do basic math. And of course that's essential, but what we miss out on when we push science to the side is that by engaging kids in science, that's where they're developing that background knowledge. It's going to make them a good reader. That's where they're developing their understanding of how data works, mm -hmm. that they're gonna leverage in math. That's where they're, um, um, developing some of the most important skills that they will need in the literacy classroom around making sense of text, discussing with each other, um, debating, using evidence. Um, and so these are not separate goals. They, they really do reinforce each other um, in really important ways. I think that's so important. I am such an advocate of integrating the various curricular areas. Um, we don't live in silos. We don't live in the city of math and the city of science and the city of whatever. Um, so can you maybe elaborate on the opportunities that exist to integrate science into other curricular areas? And as we, can, as we continue to focus on learning loss um, due to the pan pandemic. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, so this is something I've been working on a lot in my district recently, and I'm doing with another district is around authentic integration of literacy and science. And I use the word authentic because occasionally what we end up doing is just calling it a science unit, but it really becomes a reading comprehension or a literacy unit. And we want that literacy instruction to be in the service of science and science to be in the service of literacy. So if I think about professional development I've done recently with some of our um, elementary teachers, for example, we've thought about the claim evidence reasoning structure for writing um, and how we can use that across curricular areas, but also how we can help students understand what's unique about a claim evidence and reasoning in science. They're not the same thing as when you pull evidence and develop reasoning based on a text. Um, we think about when students are doing units that are nonfiction units, what are the other um, nonfiction writing structures that we want students to use? Um, and we can base that off what we do in science. So instead of um, doing something that might just be you know, kind of random um, to help students learn how to organize ideas, we can pull from the experiment we just did. And that pays double dividends because now they're working on that nonfiction text structure, but they're also given another opportunity to make sense of those science ideas. Kids need lots of opportunities to do that. So they really can work together. I love it. I would just add to that, I think, you know, it, as we're in this, um, this COVID moment, I think that we often in schools think of the grownups as the experts. And I think if anything in the pandemic, we've really, it's really emphasized for us that actually, you know, kids also are experts of their own experience and of um, the ways that they've been impacted by, um, by this disruption. And I think one of the things that I love about the science practices it, it, is it, it really helps scaffold the kids as experts engaging in the ideas and concepts. Um, and so I think that that is a, an orientation that really tries to build on the knowledge that students bring with them into the classroom. And that's, a, I think, a fun foundational principle for other um, areas of other subject areas as well. And particularly in the context of disrupted learning, I think it's really important to think about how we understand and know what kids, how kids view the world as they're in our, you know, coming back into our schools and classrooms. So I feel like one thing that, you know, that Rebecca touched on and that often happens is that in schools, we just don't have time to coordinate and collaborate across um, educators and with our administrators. And so, you know, just thinking about the power of these tools here is it gives a, a common language and a, a common set of tools for conversation to really try to understand and think about those uh, those synchronicities across those different classes. That's great. That's great. So what advice do you have for our leaders as they are thinking about beginning this work in their districts with everything they have on their plates? What might be those beginning steps? Thank you. That's a, such a good and important question um, and something we've discussed a lot as a, as a team. I think, you know, sometimes administrators feel that they should be um, the experts in conversation with their teachers. And I think it's really important to come in um, as a learner to this work, both as the leader and alongside the teachers. So I would encourage um, teams to work together to try to learn this new material and some transparency so that you're not, you know, 
claiming to be expert already um, and let the teachers know that you want to practice this with them. I think one thing that we've talked about as a team is that there might be um, an impulse to take on all the practices at once, and we don't really recommend that. We think it would make sense as a community, a school community, to maybe try to focus on a few of the practices that seem most um, aligned with what you're currently doing and how can you kind of shore up and strengthen those practices as you kind of gradually build up to implement all of them. Um, and then another thing I would say is like, you know, one thing that has become clear to me as I work alongside principals over the last decade is principals do a lot of things and are often, you know, splitting, barely splitting their time. Most of their work winds up um, in a kind of proactive mode, responding to things as they as they come across their desk or as they happen in their building. And I think I would really encourage principals as much as possible to try to prioritize and actually make time, even if it's a little tiny amount of time, but some time where you're focused on that supervision cycle, the observation, feedback, and professional development to enact that even as imperfect as it may be, but to take some small steps and to really preserve that as key, you know, a key part of your day and schedule. So I would say, you know, baby steps, little bit at a time, a lot of conversation and um, collaboration with your teachers. And then since this is, you know, likely new for everyone, thinking about it in a formative way that we're, that we're all trying to learn and grow. I'm gonna give you feedback. It's not high stakes feedback. We're not recommending that you immediately integrate this with your evaluation system. Um, we, we're thinking about this as, as hopefully providing really useful learning tools for both administrators and teachers together. That's great. That's very helpful. Yeah, for sure. So we are coming to the close of this wonderful conversation. Um, I'm wondering if Becca, you or Rebecca have anything you'd like to add before we close out? Um, I think that people will find that kids eat this stuff up and it's hard. And one of the things that I think makes it easier to, to push yourself is when you notice how great it is for kids. You know, as teachers and principals, we're always willing to do whatever it takes for kids. And it's hard, it can be really messy, it's not gonna work all the time. Um, you're gonna have to adjust and lean on your colleagues, um, but it's really good for kids and kids thrive and all kids can thrive doing this. And if you keep that at the center, then I think you're, you push through the, the, the challenges um, and, uh, and you keep growing. Well said, thank you. Becca, is there anything, and it's okay if it's not. No, I just wanna thank you for this conversation. And I do just wanna emphasize again that, that our hope is that this will be a useful tool. And I just wanna encourage those listeners who may find that they are using the materials to let us know how it goes to reach out. Um, and we would just love to see how, you know, how we're able to support this, because as Rebecca said, it's so important in this moment to think about, you know, let's not lose science in the moment here, um, because I do see it as a such an important and crucial part of our of this time in history. So thank you for including us in this conversation today. And I'm really excited to hear stories from the field of how of how this book helps. Thank you so much. Truly our pleasure. And um, we'll make sure that we put the contact information in the show notes. 
so people can easily access you. And I just want to remind people, um, the book you have to run and get is called The Instructional Leader's Guide to Implementing K-8 Science. Becca, Rebecca, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of NHASCD Spotlight. Remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And be sure to visit us on our website, nhasd.org.